For more than 2,000 years, the gospel's been spreading, spreading across oceans, continents, permeating families, communities, and nations, reaching places in our world that once were unknown and undiscovered. Yet the work is not yet complete. There are still millions who've yet to hear, yet to understand, yet to encounter the redemptive, life-changing power found only in Christ. Hi, my name is Bill Snell, president of Missionary Ventures International. For more than 30 years, we have sought to spread the gospel through communication as well as demonstration. And we've been privileged to see God working in amazing ways in more than 100 countries. We know that the world is becoming an increasingly diverse place, so for this reason, we take an entrepreneurial approach to ministry, seeking to combine a person's individual desires and passions with the work of ministry, that which every Christian's been called to. Because the work of ministry isn't limited to clergymen and women, to theologians or seminarians, we see God using builders, educators, and single moms in extraordinary ways. Around the world, millions are being saved through faith in Christ because of people just like you. At MVI, we specialize in ministry initiatives, each one designed to involve people to impact nations for Christ. They are church planting, Bible training, Christian education, health and community development, and mobilization. So as you can see, no matter what your specific skill sets are, you have something to offer, something which God can and will anoint while fulfilling your greatest desires in life. So here's my invitation to you, it's threefold. Join the MVI prayer team because intercession matters greatly. God answers prayer. Get personally involved, either long or short term. Engage by joining a short term mission trip or better yet, recruit a team with your friends and through your local church. Give. Every gift matters. Financial partnership has been God's way of providing needed resources for our mission causes and strategies. We're stronger and more effective together. Will you pray? Will you give? And will you go? Talk to us today and we'll pray with you and explore ways in which you can help reach the world for Christ in a more personally satisfying manner. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all that I've instructed, and I will be with you everywhere you go and in everything you do. Let's do this and let's do it together. Every time I watch that, I'm stunned how handsome that speaker is. <laughs> how are you doing this morning? It's really, really good to be with you. Um, we've had a, a very interesting couple of weeks. It's uh, culminated early this morning. Our beloved, uh, my beloved father-in-law, my wife's dad, Jack Taylor, passed away this morning. So I promised myself I wouldn't tear up, but I can't help it. Uh, a wonderful, godly uh, mentor um, to me, uh, a father, a spiritual father to many, many pastors and leaders throughout the land, and uh, he just broke heaven wide open. And the kingdom that he preached, he is now enjoying and seeing firsthandedly. So, yeah. Uh, thank you for your love for us and uh, for our family and uh, through a, uh, a difficult time. We know we should be rejoicing, but it's still sad. It's the way it is. So, amen. I can collect myself. I'll do all right. Um, has anybody, everybody just been rejoicing with uh, everything related to COVID? Has it 
It's just been a good time for you. Uh, you know, it's, it is, a, it is a, something that's real. Tammy and I went through it along with our son, Chris, whom we were living with at the time as we were having our home prepared and built. Uh, we got it back in October. And uh, for us, it was nothing more than a very, very mild flu. Uh, I've had flus much worse than what the uh, COVID experience was for us. But for some people, it's not that at all. It's very, very uh, impacting and uh, devastating and life-threatening for some, but for very, very few. Uh, the vast, vast majority uh, that would uh, encounter that flu virus will, will do fine. But nevertheless, there's been, um, we call it a pandemic, it's been what it's called throughout the world, and there have been all kinds of restrictions and quarantining, all kinds of uh, reactions, trying to figure out what's best to do. And, and uh, in the midst of all of that, it's, it's my feeling, my opinion, it's not the word of God, it's my feeling, my opinion, that Government officials, by and large, have taken advantage and um, have, have uh, not necessarily with, with evil hearts, but um, have taken advantage. And uh, the, uh, the crisis is ongoing, and uh, the devastation is far more than health, isn't it? You know, the, the number of... Um, I'm in personally encouraged that the that there's an increasing number of states in the U.S. that are releasing uh, their, uh, their uh, hard restrictions and things are beginning, people are able to get back to uh, so-called normal, uh, but the economic impact will last uh, for a long time. And uh, with, the, uh, with the effort to keep people solvent uh, in a time in which uh, their finances have been shut down by these restrictions, uh, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that there's been such debt that's been created that we'll never be able to pay it back. I'm, I'm afraid that that is uh, a, a worldwide epidemic of financial uh, purport. So the good news is God's still in charge. The good news is, is that he isn't worried one bit. He's not threatened. Uh, his economy isn't affected. The way he goes about things, his love and his leadership, uh, his purpose and plan is unfettered. And it's my responsibility to keep my attention on that. I haven't done that all that well. There's been lots of times when I have just been frustrated and, and uh, bothered, even angry, that what we do as a mission organization has been uh, dramatically affected because we're geared to go. We're geared to go all around the world. Our missionaries are geared to go. And... Uh, uh, when you're shut down and you can't go and, and, uh, and do what God's called you to do, then, you know, it's, uh, it's very frustrating. But nevertheless, uh, the word of God came to us back in March as we were not knowing where this was leading. And we felt like God says, be prepared to pivot. Be prepared to shift. Be prepared to be flexible. And uh, so we have done that. You know, organizations have a tendency to be a little bit unwieldy and uh, they can be um, difficult to adjust and shift uh, the larger they are or the longer they've been in place. Uh, but that has not been the case with us. We have chosen to be very flexible. And so uh, we've raised more funds for relief efforts for those more dramatically impacted by uh, COVID and its restrictions, the government restrictions throughout the world. And in many cases, physical lives are saved as spiritual lives are being saved. And um, I, I'm very, very pleased with with the ongoing impact, even though it's considerably different than what I'm used to. 
God's still in charge. So I want to talk to you this morning about the, what I believe to be, if I could use the word prophetic, a, a prophetic word to the church, not just to Grace Church, but to the church, uh, that um, it's time to wake up. It's time to come out of our religious slumber. It's time to awaken to our identity and who we are in Christ and what he's called us to do. It's time. And um, so um, in, this, in this day and time, I believe pastors, teachers, and seminary professors and the like had the greatest opportunity they have ever faced to devote themselves once again to dynamic, spiritually engaging discipleship. Now, that word seems a little bit cold and dusty because it's, it feels more in the U.S. as a textbook kind of a class that you go to church and you're, uh, you've got to take out a manual and you're going to be discipled. Uh, but that's not discipleship in full. It might be a part of it. But it's more, it's more engaging in, in the life that Christ has called us to and learning how to, how to come into a place of, of effect and impact. Um, it's been dizzying to me to watch how our culture has, has declined in the last uh, recent past and currently. And for the church just to sit on the sidelines and watching in shock and dismay and, and complaining, how in the world can this be happening and not take responsibility to some degree that it's doing what it's doing? You know, whatever happened to the church not being salt and light? What's happened? What's happened to us not having the transformational impact in the world that God has called us to. What's happened? Well, some of it is we've just been asleep. We've kind of just been lulled to sleep. We've become accustomed to Sunday morning events, but we're not engaged personally in, in the life of transformational impact in the world. And it's not for leaders alone, is it, Sal? It's for every one of us. It's for every one of us. God's called you and gifted you and anointed you for change, for impact, to shift, to flex. And so we need to reclaim our destiny. All right? Are you with me? Yeah. Would you agree that that's uh, something that we could benefit by doing? All right. Well, let's see if we can bore into this just a little bit and see where it takes us. I'm going to begin with uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, uh, kind of the, the signal verse that uh, I'll I'll move from into the, the points that I have there for you. For it is God who works in you. This is Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. For it is God himself whose power creates within you the desire to do his grace-filled will and brings about the accomplishment of the desire. That's some pretty powerful words in that, in that statement there in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. God in you, working both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The tendency is of the church, however, over, uh, in, a, in an overarching way, I don't believe I'm over-exaggerating when I say this, the tendency is, is for the church to think that while Jesus did his part, now it's time for me to do mine. And so we're thinking that if, if, uh, if Jesus wants me, if he's called me to be righteous, then it's up to me to, he, he was righteous, but it's up to me to somehow fulfill this, this quest of righteousness, that somehow I can do that. Somehow I can become more holy once I'm born again. Somehow I can become more sanctified, or more justified. I'm here to tell you that if Jesus didn't do it, it can't be done. 
And he did do it, and he did it completely. He did it finally. He did it eternally. He did it, which means that everything you could not do, he did. And he did it for you. And he gives it to you as a free gift. You come to him by trust and faith, repentance, and it's a gift. Everything that you would, you would strive for and work for and find yourself failing over and over and over again, just like all of us do, if performance is the measure, we're all lacking and we're falling short. And we can't make it across the finish line if it's up to us. But the finish line was crossed already. Jesus took care of that once and for all. In his death, in his burial, in his resurrection victory. And here we are, those of us who have believed in Christ, we stand in a position of identity that only he can provide. So here's, here's the dilemma. If the church believes that her identity is in her best abilities to, uh, to uh, exercise religious activities, hoping that somehow God will be attracted to that and bless you and be in favor of that, then if, if that's your quest, then you're going to you're going to flip-flop and fail, and you'll have ups and you'll have downs. You'll have a lot more downs, you'll have ups. So performance is not what God's looking for. He's looking for faith. And out of faith comes activity. If activity is, is in place and trying to, trying to replace faith, you're going to find yourself in a futile position, and you won't have effect in the lives of people around you because there's no power in that. The Holy Spirit is not engaged in that, is he, Matt? Holy Spirit's engaged in, in presenting Christ alive, not you alive, Christ alive, in you and through you. You need to know your identity. Um, you know, there's a phrase that's uh, been coined, and uh, you're very, very familiar with it. I don't know when it, was, when it was first stated or even who did it, who said it, but the term practice makes perfect is familiar to all of us, Correct? I want you to think about that just a moment. How's that working for you? Well, is, is it a matter you just need to practice more? If, if you're not perfect yet, is that what it takes? You know, practice. If, if you're wanting to become perfect through your, your dutiful actions, through your discipline, and through your performance, well, good luck. It's not going to happen. Because the best you have to offer is imperfection. As long as you're living this life, I'm not talking about in, in, your, in your relationship with Christ. I'm talking about just in your performance, in your conduct, in your best efforts. The best you have to offer is imperfection, as well as I. I can't become perfect out of imperfect practice, nor can you. And so somehow we think that if I perfect the art of Bible study, perfect the art of giving, perfect the art of, of discipling, perfect the art of all these different kinds of things... By just doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, I'm just going to be work, I'll work myself out and I'll be frustrated, I'll be tired, I'll be burned out, and I will not have really had the impact that God's called me to have. Practice is helpful. It'll improve lots of things in your life. It will not make you perfect. You got that? Practice can generate improvement. It cannot produce perfection. <laughs> There is a confusion that was beautifully illustrated on a similar capacity with uh, this rich young ruler. You'll see that in Luke 18, 18 through 27. I'll just let you open that and refer to uh, those passages. I, I'll make a quote or two out of those verses and not read them. Um, 
this rich young ruler, you know, familiar with him just a little bit, he's, um, he was well known in his community, it's likely that he was a Pharisee, by the way, uh, that he was, he was well respected, he was probably a self-made man, he had generated wealth, he was giving in his nature, he was, uh, he was a leader, he was compassionate, he was good, he was morally good, he was a man that many, many looked up to. And uh, so he hears that Jesus is, uh, is drawing crowds, and, and he's interested in his messaging, of course, but he's more interested in the crowds that he's drawing. So he comes up to Jesus in the public square with all of this, that's, with all these people surrounding him, and he begins to pose some questions to Jesus. Now, it reveals his heart. Now, what reveals his heart are Jesus' reply, not so much the question. But I want you to hear what the question is from the uh, rich young ruler to Jesus in this public setting. He says to him, listen to his words, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus didn't take long. It didn't take long for Jesus to look at the eyes of this man to know that there was a, an agenda here in this questioning. And Jesus begins to reply in a way that would expose that, expose what was in his heart, expose the deception that he was operating by, and, uh, and give him an opportunity to, to repent and change his mind. And then Jesus replies, well, um, why do you call me good since only God is good? Now, Jesus is making a point of reference here because the man was trusting in his goodness, you see, to get to eternal life. And he was, he was setting, uh, what, what's, the, what's the word? He was, he was comparing himself with Christ in a way that the public would recognize that what they were aspiring to and seeing so powerfully in Jesus was also true about him, so he wanted this association between himself and Christ to be elevated, and so he would have the same accolades, the same attention that Jesus was having. That's called reflexive association by psychologists, by the way. Using a tactic to come with somebody that you admire and, and respect, because you, you admire and respect that in yourself, and you associate yourself with them. A lot of people will do that as uh, that, that mention all the important people that they know and, and uh, what do you call that? I don't know what, even what that term is called. Huh? Yes. Yeah, and which is a, an attempt to bolster you and who you are and your associations and, and so forth. And that's exactly what this man was doing. So, in effect, Jesus was saying, well, since God is only good, maybe it's possible, young man, that you're calling me God. Of course, he is. But of course, that's not what the young man was saying at all. He was just saying that he himself was good, and Jesus was a good man too, so let's, let's all agree that we're all good here. That's what he was trying to do. Well, Jesus continued and bore in a little bit further. The man felt like he was losing a little bit of ground. He wasn't getting the accolades and the slap on the back and, and the congratulations. Boy, you are one fine dude. He wasn't getting that from Jesus at all. So Jesus continues. He says, speaking of good, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder or steal, don't lie, honor your parents. And I could see the young man interrupting. Oh, oh, oh yes. In fact, I have, I have honored that and I have done that all my life. Again, trusting in his self-righteousness, trusting in his goodness. And, uh, and Jesus then pointed out, well, there's one thing you've left out in your perfectly amazing life. There's something you left out, and that is that you ought to just go ahead and sell out everything. Just give it all away. And 
what, what Jesus was saying is because that's, that's what's holding you back. You're, you're set on yourself even though you're acting like you're not. Just give it all away and now you won't have any trappings. You won't have anything that you'll hang on to that you think you'll have pride in and you can actually trust in me. That's what he was saying behind the scenes. But he didn't do that and he walked away sad and forlorn. The crowd, amazed by what has just happened here, a man that they had admired and aspired to, apparently can't be saved in their thinking. If, if he can't be saved, how can we be saved? And Jesus says something else at the finalizing this, this little section here with this rich young world. Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is becoming righteous on your own, becoming through your goodness, through your morality, through your best intentions, coming to a place where you can be accepted by God. The problem isn't, isn't the acceptance aspect. The problem is the nature aspect. When you're lost, you need to be saved. When you're a sinner, you need to become a saint. When you're guilty, you need to become innocent. And how do you do that unless you come to Christ by faith and recognize that he took care of all that? His price paid your penalty. His righteousness now imputed to you. Your unrighteousness now becomes righteous. Your unholiness becomes holy. Your unsanctification becomes fully sanctified. Your lack of justification becomes justified because of the purity, the joy, the beauty, the eternal impact that the blood of Christ provided once and for all. That beautiful covenant between son and father that we get in on by faith. Isn't that amazing? The story is incredible. I never, get, I never ever get tired of thinking about it and talking about it and uh, trying to apply it to my personal life. What is impossible with men is, what is impossible with men is it possible with God. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, the word says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins when we're outside of Christ. We're dead. I don't know what we don't understand about dead. What, how can dead men become alive on their own? They can't. They're dead. But the word says that, and it says that there's none righteous, no, not one. In Ephesians 2.8, the word says that, uh, that we're, we, can, we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of works that anyone should boast. So there is a satisfaction. There is a remedy to man's impossible situation, but it's by God's doing and his alone. Identity cannot be found in your performance, in your best intents, in your best efforts. Lost or saved. It's fully satisfied in Christ. The reason why the church is not engaged in culture in any more degree than she is, because she does not know who she is. She doesn't comprehend the fullness of what Christ has accomplished. She doesn't get it. And she just kind of sees herself as as a part of the world, I guess. I would like to see some things change, but she just sits on the sidelines. How unfortunate. The bride of Christ needs to awaken and come into the mature realization of who she is in Christ. That's how you begin in your quest to reclaim or rediscover your identity, your, uh, your destiny. The second point I'd like to bring to your attention is that it's important that we, as the body of Christ, develop a hearing heart. Uh, the, the beautiful illustration of there is found with uh, Solomon back in Second uh, Chronicles 1, 11, and 12. You remember when God was asking Solomon, well, Solomon, listen, uh, I'm, I'm going to give you whatever you ask. So you need to think about this a moment. 
Think about what you're going to ask, but whatever you ask, I'm going to give to you. That's, that's a pretty amazing promise. But you know what? I don't believe that. I don't believe Solomon was singled out for a moment. I believe God is saying that to every single one of you. He's saying that to every one of us because that's a father's heart. That's a father's heart. Think about what you want. The, the word says that he wants to give us the desires of our hearts. Am I right? That's what God says. I want to give you your desires. Think about this, Solomon. Ask what you will. I'm going to give it to you. And Solomon had been king for long enough that recognized that, boy, the responsibilities that were on his shoulders were insurmountable. He didn't have what it took. No matter how much practice he applied, he couldn't perfect his art of leadership. He was not as good a king as he knew he could be and should be, and he needed help. And so he says, I thought about it, Lord, and I, what I need is wisdom. Because I'm called to lead. I'm called to be a king. I, I need wisdom to do what you've called me to do. I need wisdom. The word wisdom, when you study it in the Hebrew, literally means a hearing heart. Lord, I want to hear God like my father did, like my father David. I want to hear you, because if I hear you, then I can know what to do. I can have instruction. I can, I can, I can be in agreement with you, and I can operate in wisdom. And what did God say? Solomon, by golly, that's a good thing to ask for, and I'm going to give it to you. I told you I was going to, I'm going to, and I'm going to give you things you didn't even ask for. Because that's what a father does. He wants us to prosper and to grow. And he wants the satisfaction of life and the desires to flourish so we can operate in the fullness of joy and the capacity of liking and enjoying what we do. Amen? That's what God's all about. And that's exactly what he promised to Solomon. There's a second illustration. That's in Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. Daniel found himself in a very, very interesting predicament. Nebuchadnezzar the king had a dream, a very disturbing dream. So disturbing that he couldn't sleep, he couldn't operate, he was just distracted all the time. And so he had at his uh, disposal a plethora of magicians and soothsayers and conjurers and sorcerers and Chaldeans and all the experts of the dark arts. And he called them to his side and said, all right, here's the deal, guys. I had a dream. And I want you to tell me what my dream was. I want you to tell me what it meant. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you. Wow, what a great king. So he, uh, they start lining up. They, they try to, try to postpone the inevitable and try to use some, some very uh, intel, uh, uh, a higher order of, of uh, language than the king was accustomed to, but the king was seeing to it. It's just a delay tactic. He's not enough, enough of that. If you can't tell me the dream, can't interpret it, I'm going to kill you, line up. And so that's what was happening. And so the, uh, the guard was sent out to, to go gather the others who had some prophetic inclination. And this included Daniel and his friends. These are not the dark arts people. These are men of God. And, but they had been known to have uh, a way that they could interpret dreams and things of that sort. And so the king says, go get the rest of them. And so the guard comes to Daniel's house and says, Daniel, need to line up. What, what, what am I lining up for? So I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Wait, what? Why, why are you doing this? Why, why are you... Why? They said, well, the king had a dream, and he wants, it, he wants to know what the dream was, and he wants it wants interpreted. And uh, so I'm assuming you have no idea about that, so I'm going to kill you by the king's order. And so, you know, Daniel quickly adjusts. and said, well, wait a minute. Do, do you believe the king really wants to know the dream and wants the interpretation? And he said, well, I'm sure he's scratching his helmet. Yeah, probably so. I believe that's the case. He said, well, give me a few moments, will you, please? Just give me a few moments. Now, I, I tell you that story. 
Because if you wait till you're in a predicament like that and you haven't learned to have a hearing heart, how difficult is it going to be for you to hear God in a crisis like that? Or for me? I want you to know that the things you go through are, are, are not to bludgeon you, but to equip you, to mature you, to give you grander opportunities in the days ahead for leadership, for impact. It's not always just the dark side when you're going through. It feels that way. I've had plenty of my own. But Daniel had learned to hear God much earlier. So when this came, he knew how to press in. He knew how to shut things out and take fear out of the equation and not be owned by the circumstance and just press in to see what God had to say about the matter. Don't you think that would be good for the church to do again? I believe that in this era that if we don't do that, the world's just going to continue to spin out of control and, uh, and the harvest will not be reaped in, a, in the manner and time in which we would like to be a part of it. It's going to eventually. But wouldn't it be great if it happened in our era, in our time frame, and with some of your influence and participation? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it? Learn to have a hearing heart. Learn to press in. Learn to pay attention. God's speaking. He is so uh, tender and compassionate. Yes, he corrects, but it's not the correction that you get from the world. He's pointing things out. He's showing you, and the Spirit of God dwells richly inside of you in all his fullness to help you comprehend and understand things you don't understand now. And, of course, he's going to help you and help you think and help you understand and help peer through the fog of crisis. But you're going to have to learn how to develop a hearing heart. Maturing Christians learn to hear God from their, on their own and not wait till some man of God tells them. That was a good place for a great amen. I heard one, but it should be a whole bunch of them. Yeah. All right. So, Daniel did hear God. The dream was revealed and the interpretation of it, and the king was amazed and relieved and, and satisfied that what he heard was true and right, and Daniel and his friends were elevated to levels of greater authority, greater impact than they could ever have generated on their own without having gone through the crisis. I suspect the same is for you and for me. Number three, if you're going to reclaim, rediscover, your destiny, it would really be good if you knew your message. I've said uh, over and over again every time, not every time, but in most cases when I'm, uh, I'm sharing uh, out, of, out of the U.S. and on the mission field and, and dealing with other leaders and, and even here, um, here in the U.S., that the good news is good news all the time. There's never a time that it's not good. We tend to think that the good news is for people to be saved. Well, praise God it is. But the good news doesn't start there. The good news continues for the church, for what Jesus has accomplished and what he has come to provide and what he is providing and what he has done finally and completely in your life. We ought to be talking about that all the time. We ought to be preaching and declaring it. This is the reason why grace-based theology is so essential for what I believe needs to happen in the body of Christ to awaken her. How are we going to know who we are in Christ if we don't understand the abundance of God's grace? How, how are we going to get there? We're still going to be looking at personal 
activities, still trying to sanctify, still trying to uh, make ourselves holy or, or add to the, the holy criteria that Christ has already provided us. There's always that, that duty that we feel responsible for. And no wonder the aisles in most churches fill up every Sunday for people who just mess it up during the week and now they've got to repent and get clear and, and, and try to go after it next week only to find themselves groveling at the altar the next week. It's just, it's just we, we're never going to grow up like that. That's immaturity. That's childlike thinking. It's wrong thinking. It's deception to think that that, has, that burden has been placed upon our shoulders. Jesus took it fully upon his and satisfied holiness and righteousness and justification and sanctification completely for us. Never for us to ever have to worry about that again. And offers to us with great love if we'll just believe, trust, and receive. You know, identity is not achieved. It's received. Note your message. As ambassadors of Christ, we're not mindless. We're not dependent peons of the state. We're the church. We're the church that has been built upon Christ himself. We're positioned by the Lord to bring in the greatest harvest of souls the world has ever seen. We're the church that has been positioned to operate and live in miracles where the power of God is flowing through us. When the power of God is flowing now, it seems like it's more in spite of us. That's okay. God's still God. But I want to see the much more. I really do. I want to see, I want to see more of the hand of God operating in great power and authority where people are healed, where people are saved miraculously, where, where all of a sudden things that you... Uh, you hadn't even, people you hadn't even talked to or some, or somehow they're, they're coming to Christ and you have no idea how, how in the world that, that message came across. You just, all of a sudden the environment changes and God begins to move and operate. But it's not in spite of us, it's because we're engaged. Because the body of Christ has come alive, is learning to function, learning to operate in her identity, knows her message. I hope this is encouraging to you. It, 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 in a little ways it is a little bit correcting. Because there's some correction that needs to take place. We need to lay down our personal pursuits of trying to please God and walk in his pleasure right now. Walk in it with confidence and with joy, realizing that his plan and his purpose is far greater than what you've experienced to date. A few verses and I close. Romans 8, 18 through 21. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly. For what? For the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Do you see why God wants his church to shine, why he wants her light to be, the covering to come off so she shines brightly and gloriously, because somehow even creation is longing and waiting for the body of Christ to come into her maturity. I love that verse, or verses. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, what? It's not difficult. Your personal transformation, your personal release from Anguish and uncertainty, insecurity is as simple as calling upon the name of Christ, trusting in him for what he's accomplished. 
receiving by faith his life. And that great exchange occurs. You give yours to him, he gives his to you. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, that we might become as righteous as God is in Christ. Unstinking believable. 1 Corinthians 1.30, By God's doing, you are placed in Christ. You became wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Do you see that? It's already yours. You're striving for it, but it's yours because of Christ. Philippians 3.9, being found in him, not on the basis of having obtained a self-achieved righteousness of our own, according to the law, but based solely upon righteousness that comes through and by faith. You want to be righteous? Believe. Just believe. Living in righteousness is a whole other story, and we can talk about that as part of discipling and growing and maturing, living in righteousness. But if you want to be righteous, the only way to be righteous is to come into Christ. What is impossible with men is possible with God. All things are possible with God. Faith in Christ results in a new birth, a new creation. Everything that was old passes away. Everything new comes. Everything that's of God comes. And you're positioned eternally and perfectly in him. Don't be like the rich young ruler and walk away sad that somehow your efforts aren't respected. I don't know that that's the right way of saying that. They just don't produce the result that you'd hoped. And thank God, because you could never get there anyway. It was Christ's efforts that mattered far more than yours. And his efforts satisfied it all. I think that's such good news. We need to know our identity. We certainly do. We need to operate from identity, not toward it, as the body of Christ. We need to awaken. The Holy Spirit that dwells within us has so anointed you, has so given you gifts, so given you abilities, and they can come alive. You can awaken to that. It may not look like somebody else's, and praise God, it doesn't. Not everybody wants to look like Sal. I love you too. We've always played back and forth, haven't we? We're unique. We're called of God. We're gifted. You have a place. You have impact. You have transformation abilities lying within your bosom. And it isn't, you don't have to have a seminary title or a shingle on your office desk to give you some, your office wall to give you some indication that you can do that. Right where you are. Businessman and woman. Mom and dad. Young man, young woman. Whatever you're calling, whatever you're doing, uh, Christ is alive in you. If you give your life to Christ, Christ is alive in you. It's very good. Let's, let me pray for you, and then I'll close out. I'll have Matt come up. But Father, thank you. Thank you for the good news. When it was heralded on that early, early morning out there in the fields, that there was a Messiah of a Savior that was coming whose name would be Christ the Lord. When you announced that through your angelic uh, uh, messengers, it was good news then, and it continues to be good news today. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. 
Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for giving us your life. Thank you for anointing us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for purposing us for our, our lives to make a difference, Lord. And I pray that the body of Christ throughout the world will come alive again to the fullness of the good news, the fullness of the completed work of Christ on our behalf. Show us, Lord, individually how to engage, how to be more effective. And we'll give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.